0: Monks and Wesleyan, did you you feel that? Like, the king is here in this house, do you know? Like, God is here. That's crazy. When you think about it, like how flippant sometimes we talk about the fact that the king of the universe, creator of everything, is here. Visiting us. Speaking to us that 's what it 's all about church that 's why Moncton Wesleyan exists that 's why the church exists, so that god 's presence can be made known and manifest in the world, and I am so thankful for what God is doing here. This is not your regular summer. you guys realize that, eh Like God is doing something new and something special here, and I just love it. You know why I love it is because Moncton Wesleyan is a crucial part of god 's plan for revival in Atlantic Canada. I believe it 's coming. And revival happens not when just one church catches on fire like mine has, but when multiple churches across the geography and the region catch fire and the fire grows until one fire goes into another and then all of a sudden you have an inferno. That's what I'm praying for and believing for in Atlantic Canada. Well, like uh, Pastor Tim said, I just want to first honor Pastor Tim and just say, Uh, This guy has been a big brother in the ministry to me. I, I, uh, like like you said, two years ago became lead pastor at Kings Valley. I was uh, 29 years old and uh, in a difficult situation with a lot of hurting people. And Tim and I spent quite a bit of time together and he helped me through that season. You guys have an incredible lead pastor. And I hope you know that. He, He has a grace on his life. Uh, To see people come to Christ. Like people just get saved around Tim. It just happens. God's just put his anointing on him like that. People have different gifts and abilities and graces. And if you want to see your church grow and to see people come to Christ, you have the correct leader. I just want you to know that. So let's give him some honor this morning. Do you appreciate your pastor? Like Pastor Tim said, uh, I'm from... Kings Valley Church, and uh, I'm there with my wife, Melanie, and I have a four-year-old son named Aiden and a six-year-old daughter named Ava, and they're home at church today. And yes, I do know all the lyrics to Frozen, all of them. Do you want to build a snowman? Doesn't have to be a snowman. Okay, bye. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I have a little girl. It's okay, and I happen to like Frozen. So. You guys are in Isaiah, correct? Would you, uh, would you stand with me for one minute while we read the word together, and we'll just kind of center ourselves here? I didn't bring my flip-flops. I, bought, I brought my gospel shoes, but we're doing flip-flops Sundays, and so here we are following Isaiah. And here in chapter 25, you kind of get to this place where Isaiah is given this glimmer, this picture Of the hope that we have in who God is. That he's this awesome God, this able God, this unbelievable, capable God. He gives us this picture of it. And it's kind of a breather, really, because there's some pretty heavy stuff that he covers in the chapters before. Some major stuff that he wants to let Israel know, hey, this is out of line and this is out of line. But now in 25, he says, but remember who God is. Remember who this God is. Look in verse 4. I'm going to read just a few verses. It says this. this. He's talking about who God is to Israel and who God is to us. It says that for you have been a stronghold to the poor. He's a stronghold to the needy and the distress. He's a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. But you subdue the noise of foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up. On this mountain, the covering, the shame that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, and he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God, get this, will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. That he might save us. That's who our God is. Amen? He is a stronghold. He is a shelter. He is all we need for our help. We're going to pray. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you today. And we know you're here. Holy Creator God is here in this room, Father. And would you tune our ears and our hearts and our minds to perceive who you are and what you're speaking to us today. I don't want to talk. We don't want to hear some dude talk. We just want to hear the Lord God speak to us today. And do what only you can do. And so, Holy Spirit, we say, come, speak, dwell here. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Before you sit down, why don't you turn to one or two people, give them a high five, and tell them, I think this one's for you. You should listen. Do we have any homeowners in the house? Any homeowners? I ventured out into home ownership a couple of years ago, and I found something to be true about owning a home. Owning a home basically is this endless adventure of issue after issue and thing after thing and break after break that you need to fix. Correct? Constant maintenance. Constant issues. Now, if you were to come to my house in Quispams this, and you were to pull up beside the road, you'd see my little greenhouse, and it would look all right from the curb decent curb appeal, you'd think, yeah, that house is well together. But don't be deceived. If you were to knock on my door and come in the entryway and my wife knew you were coming, it would probably still be together. And you'd walk in and you'd see a family area and an eating area that was was together. But there would be doors that were closed. And behind said doors would be countless issues and things we would not want you to see. If you were to venture past the kitchen and head down into the basement, you'd find a righteous mess. Toys, frozen posters, DVDs, stuff everywhere. It's a mess in my basement, usually. 89% of the time, unless someone's coming over. And you know what you do, right? They're coming over and you like, make it look like, oh, it's always this way. Yeah, I've got everything together. But if you were to pass through my family room and you were to get into like the basement area you'd see all kinds of issues. You'd see that one area of my basement's unfinished. There's things that need to be done to it yet. It's still in process. You'd see in another area of my basement where I had the wood, that there's just this pile of dirt. It's just dirty. And then in another area, there's this crack in the foundation. It's just, it's sketchy, definitely. There's issues everywhere. And I found this to be true about owning a home is I have this priority list. Does anybody have like the mental priority list? Okay, I've got to deal with this problem. We're taking on water. That's a huge issue. I've got to deal with that. But as you kind of get these issues done and solved, you move on to the next one. And what I've discovered as owning a home is they never stop. Ever. Like I thought I'd buy a house and it would just be good from here on out. No, that's not how it works. I think it's worth less than it was when I bought it. Because I'm not a strong, capable man. My wife reminds me I am not handy. I'm not the camping type. I'm going to take a hotel 10 times out of 10. I'm not going to fix things. I'm going to hire someone to do it. That's just who God made. I'm sorry. That's how I am. I'm a little, I'm a little insecure about that. Can you tell? But I found this to be true about owning a home. And I found this to be true about Life about being a person, about the home of my soul, I have found it to be true that my life can seem like issue after issue after issue and thing after thing that I'm dealing with and managing and trying to handle and to juggle. You ever felt like that? Like that your life is just this constant list of issues. Things that need to be fixed, things that need to be mended, the issues that need to be solved, breaks that need to be fixed. And from the curb, you know, we don't look that bad, do we? You know how you put it together and you come to church and you look like, everything's great in my life, everything's just perfect. But if we were to show up unannounced in a moment of vulnerability and you were to be really raw and honest and you were to take me on a tour of your house, your life, and we were to see the real you and the inside you and the you that's behind those doors you don't want your company getting into, you'd probably be able to show me some issues like I'd be able to show you. We all have them, don't we? We all have things that are found in our house. You know, if I were to take you on a tour, you know, I'll show you Brent. You could come over into this corner, and over there is the closet. You know, in the closet, there's some issues in there. There's some things I did in the past that I'm not too proud of. And there's some skeletons in there that just kind of hang out there, and I really don't know what to do with them. It's just an issue I have, so I try my best to ignore it, and I just keep them over there. You know, if you were to come over here, Brent, you can see this part's broke. It's broken. You know, my money's broke. My marriage is broke. My relationship with my kids is broke. I really don't know what to do with it. I've tried everything. I've even brought people in for a second opinion. It's just not working. And now, Brent, if you were to come over there, that part's not finished yet. It's still under construction. I don't know what to do with it. You ever felt like that's your life? Like there's just issue after issue and like it's like owning a home? Over there is a hole in the wall and I just keep trying to fill it with stuff and I really don't know what to fill it with. Nothing seems to fit. How do we do it? How do we fix our issues? How do we deal with our issues? How do we find this restoration and get to the end of our list? What do you do? That's the question I want to ask. How do we deal with the mess in the home of our life? How do we deal with the clutter? How do we deal with things that are broken? How do we deal with the issues that we all have? What do we do? Well, you know the answer is Jesus. Spoiler alert. But I want to show you how. If you would turn with me, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 17. I want to tell you a story about Jesus and ten lepers. And some of you may have read this before, maybe not, but it's a a story about Jesus. So find your way to Luke 17 and we're going to read it. And I'm going to show you how to fix your issues. What to do with your struggles, what to do with your problems, the skeletons in your closets, the breaks in your relationships, all those things that you're dealing with. And you didn't come to church today not dealing with something. I know something to be true about every one of us. You all have something, and you could probably name it. If we were to stand up and pass the mic around, you'd be able to name what that thing is that you're carrying. What that thing is that's weighing you down. What that thing is you're trying to deal with and fix. There's always a big one. And then there's probably, for a lot of you, multiple issues you're dealing with. And in our text today, you're going to find something very encouraging, is my heart. I feel like God wants to encourage some people here today. I did not come to uh, afflict the comfort, comfortable. I came to comfort the afflicted. It says this. Are you there in Luke 17? I need you to talk to me. Hey, I listened to Leonard's sermon, and I know you can talk. I wish I was a black preacher, just going to be honest, just going to be honest. I I, I grew up being a basketball player, wishing I was black. Now I'm a preacher, and I'm wishing I was black just because they got the fire. Come on. They clap for that. (laughs) Oh, man. Delete that, please. Are you there, Luke 17? Say yes. 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 Awesome. It says this, on the way to Jerusalem, in verse 11, it says, on the way to Jerusalem, he being who? Jesus being who? He being who? There we go. We're there. Here we go. He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now Luke never just throws something in there randomly. It's always there on purpose. And he wants to set the table here before you see what happens next. He wants to remind you that Jesus was not stopping at this town. He was on his way somewhere. He was heading somewhere. He was going to do something. He was on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus, in all of his ministry, is all leading up to him going to Jerusalem. Why? So he could die for the sins of the world and rise again in victory over death. Jesus was on mission from the day he took his first breath until he died on the cross. And Luke wants you to remember that whatever he does, it's because he's heading to the cross, he's actually going to address an issue that you and I cannot address for ourselves. He's going to deal with something that you and I don't know how to deal with. That's what he's doing. So Luke, right up front, before you pull anything else out of this text, he wants you to know Jesus was heading somewhere. He's on his way. It tells us this, that as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. So here's the scene. Jesus comes into this village, this unnamed village, and it tells us there are ten lepers standing at a distance. Now why are they standing at a distance? They're standing at a distance because they have leprosy. Leprosy was and is a horrid disease, like the worst imaginable. It's this this physical issue that begins as this small speck in the eye. It's this contagious thing that you catch and it begins as a speck in the eye but it begins to grow from there and it begins to go from the eye out onto the body and it begins to make the body kind of pale and swollen and then the paleness turns into white spots and then the white spots turns into red, w- red welts and cracked skin it's a brutal disease and the reason that they're fi- they're standing at a distance from Jesus is because legally they had to be 50 yards away from anyone who was not contaminated with leprosy so you can get this picture there's 10 lepers they heard that Jesus was coming to town and so they on painful feet and painful joints And hurts and sores, walks to find Jesus and get as close to him as they possibly could. This is the scene you have. Leprosy was and is a horrible disease. As it began to take over the exterior of your body, what leprosy would do is it actually gets down into inside your body. And it begins to rot your joints and your bones. And it was common for people who had leprosy to actually lose full parts of themselves. You would see lepers missing noses or ears or hands. In fact, it still happens to this day. The leprosy is still an issue. And if you Google it, you will see what it looks like. Leprosy is a brutal disease because of what it does to you physically. But what it does to you socially is what really destroys. Can you imagine having leprosy? And just like the small issue in the physical grew and became a bigger and bigger issue, so it did in their relationships. Can you imagine a man who finds out he has leprosy? All of a sudden, he can no longer hug and kiss his wife. Or tuck his kids into bed. As the leprosy grows, so does the distance between him and his family. Leprosy is this issue... That just grows and grows and it gets into every area of your life. That's what it meant to have leprosy. These people didn't just lose limbs and appendages. They lost relationships. And so here are ten people who were completely cut off from their families, their friends, their jobs, everything. Like talk about a huge problem. I can't think of a bigger one. Most sicknesses you can at least do with your family. This one you can't. This one you're alone. That's why there were 10 of them together. That was their family. Tells us 10 lepers stand at a distance, broken and cut off. They were untouchable. Now you and I, I don't think anyone here has had leprosy. Anybody have leprosy? If you do, you should get out of that row and get that checked out. I don't think any of us have had leprosy But we can empathize with what's going on here. Have you ever had an issue that just started out as this small thing, but over time it just continued to grow and grow and become more and more all-encompassing to the point at which it was actually fracturing and breaking relationships and breaking things off of your life? Have you ever had that? Maybe it was your marriage, your relationship with your wife. It started out as a fight, and then it was another fight. And then you were just kind of out of sync for a while. Am I (laughs) flickering? And then before you knew it, a couple weeks went by and you weren't really talking. And then a couple months went by and now there's this kind of gap between you where you're not really seeing eye to eye. In fact, you're hardly even talking. You thought it was just a season, but now it seems to be reality that you're just falling further and further apart because of that issue that came between you and it just kept growing sort what it means to have leprosy. Or maybe for parents, you know, your kid, they were in junior high school and you thought they were just acting out. Got a bad report from the teacher. You know, they said they were were misbehaving. You thought it was just a one-time issue. And then the pattern kept happening. And then before you knew it, these kids were actually out of control. And they were completely rejecting your faith. And they didn't want to come to church. And actually, they just kept getting worse and worse. And you didn't really know what to do with it. You didn't have the answer. You'd try to discipline them and they'd react. You'd give them freedom and they'd abuse it. You don't really know what to do. Has anybody ever had an issue that just continues to grow out of control? You don't know what to do with it. Maybe you have a physical sickness. You don't have leprosy. Maybe you're dealing with cancer. Maybe you're dealing with some kind of actual symptoms of something. And it started out small, but it just begins to take things over, both in your body and your relationships. It's funny how a sickness can just kind of take over everything, isn't it? That's what it means to have leprosy. That's what these guys were going through. And you know what they're going through, don't you, church? You know what it is to have an issue, to have a break, to have a hole or a void that you don't know what to do with. You don't know the answer. And so here are these ten lepers, and they come to Jesus, standing at a distance. This is the scene we get. It tells us this in verse 13. He was met by ten lepers, he, Jesus, and they stood at a distance because they had to be, 50 yards away. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They would have yelled. They would have had to yell. They would have been half a football field away from Jesus. They'd have to yell. Can you picture it now? There's these desperate men, 50 yards away, crying out to Jesus. He is their last resort. They've tried everything. They've gone to the doctor. They've tried homeopathic remedies. They've gone gluten-free. They've done everything they could to try and make themselves right, and it hasn't worked. And now they're at their last resort, and they're crying out to Jesus, praying the most spiritual prayer a person can pray. You ever pray this? It goes like this. You ever prayed that prayer? When you really have nothing else to say, nothing left to go, nowhere else to turn to, and you just cry out to God, "Help." It's like the Jesus take the wheel prayer. I'm not going to sing that for you. I do know the words. Don't 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 test me. <laughs> have you ever been there? Like you're past the point of options. They've been exhausted. You don't know what else to do with. And then you just basically find yourself at a point where I'm just crying out to God who maybe you don't even know if he's there. That's what happens here. They cry out to Jesus at a distance. Jesus, save us. Help us. And I want you to see what happens next. Tells us, verse 14 says, they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They cry out to him. They need a miracle. He's their last resort. And look what happens. It says, and when he saw them, Jesus saw them. How did he see them? We can first deduce that he heard them. That he was walking along and Jesus heard them cry out to him. How many people take comfort knowing that Jesus always hears you pray? Always. There is not a prayer you utter or yell or mutter or squeak out that he does not hear. This is a Bible gospel truth. Our God is a God who hears the cries of the oppressed. And some of you here today have been praying for things and you're wondering, does he even hear me? I have it on good authority to tell you today, God hears you. He hears every prayer. He hears your thoughts. He hears your feelings. He knows what you're saying and praying says so Jesus hears them. He not only hears them, but he turns to them. I think of that scripture in Second Chronicles 7, where God's speaking to Israel. He tells them, "Look, if you my people who are called by my name, if you'll just humble yourself and pray, if you'll cry out to me and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear you from heaven. That's a promise. Some of you have been praying and you feel like you're getting nothing. It's crickets. You're talking to the wall. That's a lie. God hears you. God hears you. He hears your prayers. And one more than that. He sees you. Like, God doesn't just hear you and ignore you. I love that about this picture. Here are these guys, desperate. No one else is going to help them, right? They're alone. And Jesus not only hears them, but it says, and when he saw them, he turned himself and put his eyes on them. That's the amazing thing. The Bible tells us that God's eyes go to and fro throughout the earth, looking for someone that he can encourage and help. That's our God. Our God's the God who sees you. He sees your issues. He knows what you're going through. And some of you are questioning that today. And I prayed this this whole week, God, what do you want to say to Moncton? And I felt like there are people here who are doubting and questioning whether God knows your situation. I want to tell you, he knows what you're going through. He sees you. He hears you. He's not oblivious to your situation. Jesus heard these lepers. That's amazing. He knows the details. He knows the pressure you're under. He knows the load you're carrying. He knows the stress you feel. He knows the problem you have. Says so they lifted up their voices. And saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he turned and then he responds. He said to them, go show yourself to the priests. Go show yourself to the priests. God doesn't always just hear you he doesn't only see you god always responds god always responds sometimes though he responds in ways that are counterintuitive like can you imagine how confusing this would have been for these lepers i mean the stories had been circulating these guys knew that jesus himself had healed lepers before like we're in luke 17 we're like three quarters of the way through the story These guys knew that Jesus could heal leprosy. In fact, they knew that he had personally touched lepers and they were healed instantly. They knew the stories. They knew that that Jesus could actually dial in long-range healing. Like for Jairus. Remember that one? Hey, you don't even need to come to my house. I know who you are. You can just say the word and they'll be healed. These lepers knew that. They knew the stories. And then they get this instruction from Jesus saying, Okay, I hear you. I see you. I'll help you. Go show yourselves to the priests. you imagine how you'd feel? Like think about these lepers. They would have had to walk, probably some of them missing feet. The pain they would have had to endure just getting there to where Jesus could see and hear them. And then Jesus says, your journey's not done yet. You need to walk a little further. Go show yourselves to the priest. You see, sometimes God gives you a response And God will answer your prayers in ways that seem counterintuitive. And I think a lot of the time he'll tell us what we need to do and we'll hear him and then we'll just do one of these. I don't want to do that. I want you to snap your fingers and dial one in for me. I don't want to have to do what you're asking me to do. How many times, though, has God told you what to do and he said healing is that way? If you just walk that way, if you just take this walk, go show yourselves to the priest, how many times have you known what you're supposed to do and it didn't make sense to you so you didn't even get on the path at all? You're praying for your son or your daughter to come back to faith. You want them to value Christ and you know that God's remedy, this diagnosis is, hey, parent, hey, dad, make sure that Christ and church is a priority and that you're not skipping church four times out of five to go to hockey, but you don't want to listen to that. He's told you what to do. Sometimes it seems counterintuitive. You've been praying for your your finances to come in order. You just can't seem to get ahead. But God's told you, you know what? You give me my first. You tithe. You give and I will bless you. That's how it's going to work. But you don't think that works. Why would you do that? That's counterintuitive. This doesn't make sense, God. See, a lot of the time God answers us in a way that we're not hearing. And we don't want to hear. Sometimes healing is that way. Sometimes you've got to walk. He says, go show yourselves to the priests. Sometimes God answers us and we just don't like the answer. Sometimes the path of healing makes no sense. But look what happens. Are you with me? It says, and when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went... They were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. It doesn't say that when they got there, they got zapped. It doesn't say that when they took their first step, they got healed. It says that as they went, they were cleansed. Here's something you need to know to be true. Healing is a process. Healing is a process. It's a journey. Jesus says, you need to walk the walk, and I'll do my part. You walk in faith, and I'll do my part. You take the steps, and I'll do my part. You see that all through the Bible. You see it with Moses. He says, Moses, I will part the sea for you. You've got to do your part. The earth moves heaven. You stick that staff in the water and I will do the rest. Israel, you're going to pass into the promised land. I'm going to to part the Jordan for you. But priests, you've got to step in first. You've got to walk in first and then I'll move. Healing is a process, church. A lot of the time God wants you to work your faith. This is why James says, without faith or without works, your faith is dead. Believing in something and having faith are two different things. Faith takes action. Some of you need to start walking. Walking in faith. (laughs) Healing is a process. I always think about it like, I don't know if I can do this, cameraman, but I'm going to walk for a second. I always think about this when I read this text. Like how far did the lepers have to walk before they noticed some change? Like, obviously, they do it. It says that as they went, they were healed. So they started walking. I can imagine Jesus gives that direction, and they kind of maybe look at each other like, okay, this is weird. Why does he want me to do this? And so they start walking, though. All right, we've got no other options. Let's see. Let's do what the man says. So they start. And, and at what point, though, does the healing start? It doesn't tell us. Was it five steps in? Was it... 20 steps in? Was it one kilometer in? Was it two kilometers in? We don't know. All we know is somewhere along the way, they got healed. Somewhere along the way, God's supernatural power took over, and they were walking, and all of a sudden, one guy looks down and he goes, whoa, my hand just grew back. Sometimes healing happens like that, you know. It happens while you're walking. It happens while you're going. And I think about this. Imagine... Those guys just stopped. Imagine they got walking, and they felt like they were walking for too long. And they got like maybe 10 minutes down the road, maybe an hour down the road, and they were walking, and they know that Jesus said, if you just keep walking, you'll be healed. And so they start walking, but maybe what if they got tired? What if like at 27 minutes into the walk, they decide, you know what, this isn't working. I'm done. I'm going back. Let's go back to the leper colony. This isn't going to work either, just like everything else. What if they stopped like two steps before healing happened? What if they stopped like five minutes before they saw like the breakthrough? They saw God come in power and do something miraculous in their life. What if they stopped? See, I think we do this, church. I think we'll start on a journey and we'll get winded and we'll get tired. And God tells us we just need to keep walking. We just need to keep going. We need to keep working our faith and walking in faith. And that the the healing will come and his power will come. But I think a lot of us turn back too soon. I think a lot of us stop too soon. You've been praying for your son. You want him to come to faith. He's got issues all over the place, and you want him to find Jesus, but you're on the verge of quitting. And I came to tell you today, church, don't stop walking. Keep praying in faith. Keep believing for your son. Some of you are fighting actual physical issues. Some of you have physical issues, actual cancer, actual real-life physical issues, and you're on the verge of quitting praying for it. You're just going to say, you know what? It just is what it is, and we're done praying for it. I came to tell you, don't you, quit. don't you quit walking. Keep walking. Keep believing. Don't stop. You may be three steps away or three days away or three months away from seeing God move on your behalf and do something you can't do for yourself. Church, you've got to keep walking. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep believing. in faith you got to keep believing in faith I think there are people here who have wanted to know God you've wanted to know him and you you believe it's real you don't think that pastor Tim's crazy to come up here and start crying being moved by a real God you see that people are experiencing God but it's not been your experience I think there are people here today that maybe today is the last day. They're like, you know what, God, you need to say something to me or I'm done. I want to tell you, man, keep walking. Keep going. Keep coming. Keep reading your Bible. Keep getting connected. It will come. It will come. Healing is a process, church. I think God wants to awaken faith in you. I mean, Moncton and you're in a transition. And God's beginning already. You can see, You can see things changing, can't you? I want to tell you, keep walking. Like the best is ahead. The best days are coming. The best things are coming. You just keep walking in faith. Your job is to walk in faith. God's job is to provide the miracle. We quit too soon. I think, I think there are people here, and I just sense it from the Lord, that there are people here who are getting tired and discouraged. I feel like God's just trying to tell you, just keep Walking, keep trusting, keep believing. It even doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense for the lepers to walk back to the priest. They weren't even allowed to see the priest. Do you realize that? Like they were going against the grain of all common knowledge. It may not make sense what God's calling you to do, but if he's asking you to do it, do it. Keep going. Verse 15. It tells us that as they went, they were Healed. This amazing thing happens. All ten of them are healed. Like It would be incredible. They probably were jumping for joy and hugging each other and and thinking this is incredible. But it tells us something happened. This is where the story starts to kind of split into two paths. It says in verse 15, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And praising God with a loud voice, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. So you see, this one man out of the, out of the rest of the ten, of, there's nine who don't do this, just one of them does this. He, he, you can picture it. They're all standing there in amazement, like, I can't believe that worked. But one of them says, You know what, guys? I, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go back to Jesus. And he heads back, and it tells us with a loud voice, he falls at his feet. And he's just overwhelmed and overcome with praise for who this Jesus is. He's just completely undone. Like a picture of Isaiah 6, where Isaiah before God just falls down saying, Woe is me, I am undone. Look at you. You get this picture with the one. He does this. He comes back to Jesus. It tells us he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered. Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise except this foreigner? Now there's some things going on here in the text. This is a picture of Israel and Samaria, and I don't want to get into that necessarily today. And if you were to stop reading here, you'd think that this text is actually about gratitude and being thankful for what God has done for you. And I think, church, we need to be better at that. We need better at counting our blessings and saying thank you for how amazing it is, how God has been so good to us. I mean, we could be, we could be dealing with what Iraq is dealing with. Like, God has been so good to us. I take it for granted. But this is not, this is not a story about gratitude. It's about faith. It's about faith that one man had and nine did not. Look what happens here. What was it about the one who realized something about Jesus that the other nine did not? Why did the one turn back and the other nine go about their business? Like the ten, all ten of them shared in the same experience, correct? All ten of them were lepers. They all dealt with the same issues. They they were fighting with the same issues in their lives. Broken relationships, breaking down bodies. They had the same things going on. Same experience. They came to Christ together. They cried out to him together. They were all dealing with the same things. They all shared in their same faith to Jesus for their healing. They all believed him enough to walk, and they made the journey, and they were healed. They were all together at that point. They all shared in the healing. They were together, but here's the thing. The one realized something, the nine did not. Now, if you've got issues in your house, and you've got the big one, the big issue you're dealing with, what do you do when you've dealt with the big issue? What's the next thing you do? you start juggling and dealing and engaging with the next one, correct? Like, it's like if you're in a boat and there are multiple holes, what you do is you plug the biggest hole first, correct? And then when that one gets plugged, you move on to the next one. That's what we do in life. And that's what nine of the lepers did. You can imagine the nine lepers had some issues to address. You know, leper number one, it'd been eight years since he'd seen his family. His kids don't even know him anymore. He doesn't even know how he's gonna step in and be his dad, and so he did de- be their dad, and so he decides, I need to get at this, so he heads right home to try and start dealing with his family issues. Leper number two, he had medical bills just sky high, and so he had major debt issues that he needed to deal with, and so he's like, You know what? I gotta get a job today, or I'm gonna to go to jail. Leper number three hadn't seen his wife in some time. Heard she got a new girl, new boyfriend. And so he's going to try to get back in there and try to straighten things out. You see, one by one, these guys start dealing with their issues just like you do. We do this, don't we, church? Like we deal with our issues in systematic order. And that's what these guys did. But one of them did not. Do you know what the one did? The one realized something about Jesus that the other nine didn't. You see, for the other nine, Jesus was a means to an end. Jesus had the ability, and he was able to deal with the leprosy issue, but for the rest of their issues, they were deciding to handle them on their own. But for the one, he realized that Jesus wasn't just a means to an end. Jesus is the end himself. He realized that if I go back to Jesus, he is the answer for every other issue I have. Like Jesus just isn't interested in the one big issue. This man, this God man is the answer to all of my problems. I'm going to give him the whole list. That's what the one leper did. He said, "You, you, you, you can handle everything. I'm falling at your feet in praise because you are God and you can deal with all my issues. Yeah, i got some family things, but Jesus, I'm going to trust you to help me navigate them. Yup, I've got some bills. I've got some issues i got to deal with, but I'm going to trust you. I mean, you did help me with the leprosy thing. You can help me with everything else. That's who Jesus is. The one realized the magnitude of who Jesus was. For the one... Jesus was the solution to all of his problems. Jesus was the answer to all of his issues. To his brokenness, to the mess he's made, to his shame, for his future, for his past, his fears, his hurts. All of it. Jesus. The whole thing. Then we find something happens here. Verse 18, Jesus says... Was no one found to come and give praise except this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Some of you have like the KJV or the New King James It says, Your faith has made you whole. Did you know that Jesus wants to fill all the breaks All the holes, all the voids, all the closets, all the issues in your life. Jesus is the answer to all of them. I don't think we see Jesus as big enough in our minds. I think we think Jesus can only handle one issue at a time. That's not my Jesus. Jesus is big enough and able to be placed in every issue. Like if your basement was falling apart and you were looking at all the issues, you know what? Over here I have a broken relationship. That looks like a job for Jesus. Over here, my family's falling apart but that looks like a job for Jesus. Over here, I can't seem to get things straight but that looks like a job for Jesus. That's who Jesus is, church. Jesus is the answer to all your issues. And I'm not saying he's going to magically do everything that you think he's going to do. That's not the promise. The promise, though, is Jesus is enough and that he's able. And so I don't know what issues you're dealing with and you're carrying today, but I want to tell you and I want to implore you that Christ is the answer. That Jesus doesn't want to just heal one issue. He wants to make you whole. He wants to fill the void. He wants to satisfy you. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you purpose. He wants to give purpose to that room in your soul you don't know what to do with. That's Jesus. The one realized Jesus is the end. He's the end of my fear. He's the end of my failure. He's the end of my shame. He's the end of my despair. He's the end of my addictions. He's the end of my hatred. All the things that rot my soul, that leprosy of the soul, and the things that crack and leak and are broken in my life, Jesus is the answer to it. And he's the beginning of being filled and fixed and made whole. The beginning of peace and joy and life and satisfaction and forgiveness, and righteousness. The one knew that he'd found Jesus, and he was never letting go. It's this picture. I want you to do inventory for a second. Are you trusting Jesus with everything? I mean, I know you, I know you got the big ones, and it's obvious. Are you trusting him with that? But I'm saying everything. Do you know what Jesus cares about the little issues in your life, too? Like Jesus isn't just concerned, God help the, the people in Iraq that are going through those things. He's concerned with the things that you're struggling with and dealing with too. I think a lot of the time we play the waiting game. And we say, well, Jesus can only really handle the Iraq issue, He can't handle my little things. That's not true. He's enough, He is everything. I love the book of Colossians, one of my favorite books, because it's so, like, Christocentric. The whole first, first and second chapter are just, like, Jesus is. And then it kind of comes to this climactic point in, in, in chapter 3, and it says this, Paul says this to the Colossians. Look, I need you to know this, that Christ is all, and he is in all. Like he's everything in everything. That's who he needs to be for you. He needs to be your everything and in your everything. Jesus is invited to all of your life. Not just a fragment of your time or a piece of your affections. The whole thing. So Jesus over here and Jesus over here. That's who he is. Christ is all and in all. He is the who. He is the who you're looking for. He is the when your fears are over. He is the where you can go for comfort and solace and escape. He is where you're going. He is the destination. He's the what you can do to fix it. He is the why you can have eternal life. He is all and he is in all and he is able to heal and fix every broken and cracked area in your life, church. I need you to hear it. The holes in Jesus' hands tell me that my past has been fulfilled. The hole in the city of Jerusalem, the empty tomb tells me my future is secure. And the hole in my heart has been filled. To overflowing, I love that picture in Psalm 23 where, where, where David says, my cup overflows. Like you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies with all of the issues I'm facing. They're staring me down. They're looking at me. They're overcoming me. But you, Jesus, are enough. I stand here before him and my cup overflows. Christ is all and in all. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's the final amen and he's the firstborn of all creation. He is the creator and the fulfiller. He is a deliverer. He is father. He is God. He is the good shepherd, the great. I am. I could go all day. He is the hope of glory. He is the image of the invisible God. He has transferred us from darkness into light. He is salvation. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the bread of life. He's the supreme sacrifice. He is peace. He is joy. He is love. He is healing. He is forgiveness. He is all that you need church, all that you need. Jesus uh, I want to ask you uh, I, I don't uh, you might as well just stay standing I'm gonna wrap up and we're gonna worship and pray but I don't know you intimately like i know my church and i don't know all the issues you're facing but i know you're humans you're people like me and you're people like my people and as i prayed and i said god i don't i don't want to just roll in there and just preach some random message i don't want to spin through my rolodex and say that one god i want you to speak and encourage your people and i felt like the lord was saying there are people here today although god's been stirring your heart you're carrying a burden Like the weight of some issue that you don't know how to deal with is weighing down on your shoulders. And I felt like God bringing that scripture of Peter to my mind where it says, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Like, he's not blind to your situation. You've got to hear me. He's not deaf to your prayers. He hears you. He wants you in faith to walk in it and to give it to him and say, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when I'm going to be restored. I don't know when healing is going to happen. I just know I'm trusting him. I'm going to choose to trust him. And I prayed and I asked God and I said, God, what do you want to do? And I had a picture that there would be people here who are dealing with their own issues there are physical issues, there are people dealing with sickness there are people dealing with purpose you don't know what your purpose is and you're trying to find it and you, so you just keep walking there are people here with broken relationships there are parents here today who are praying for a child wanting so bad for them to come back I don't know what your issue is I, I can't name it, but God knows and I felt like God wants to tell you today to keep walking Keep trusting, keep believing in him, cast your cares on him, cast your burdens on him. No one needs to leave these doors feeling like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. You know what? You'll get crushed, but Jesus is able to carry it. If you're here today and you've got an issue that you, you don't know what to do with, like this thing is just this is like leprosy I've tried everything I've exhausted my options I don't know what to do with that if that's you I'd ask you to slip out of the aisle and come down front here and I want to pray for you and we're going to pray together would you do that just now come don't let your pride get in the way just come forward I know there are many of you and if you're sitting there and you know it's you don't let your pride stop you come we're going to pray together. And I just believe God's going to brush some shoulders off. There's weight on people that God does not want you to carry. I'm not saying that he's going to snap his fingers and he's going to fix everything in a moment. I am saying that by the Holy Spirit, he will deposit in your heart and your soul some peace. And the fact that he is with you and he sees you and he will give you the strength to keep taking steps every day, step by step. His grace is sufficient. Come, don't, don't be robbed a moment. Whatever your issue is, I want to pray for you. There's time. Maybe you walking from your seat to the front is you telling Jesus, I don't know what to do with this. I need you. This is a job that only you can handle. Maybe that's what that is. Maybe your journey begins with you getting out of your seat and coming down. pray. Can you agree with me in prayer? There's power as we agree. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you first in praise and in worship. And we just continue to say you're worthy. Lord, we realize today that if you did nothing for us, if you didn't look to us or hear us or, or move on our behalf, if you did nothing for us, you are still infinitely worthy of our praise. But today, God, we know that's not who you are, God. You are are beyond just worthy, God, but you are merciful and you are kind and you are loving. And God, your heart breaks when your kids' hearts break. You feel what people are going through. You know every name here. You know every hair on every head. I don't know them, God, but you know them. And you knew they'd be here in this moment, receiving prayer in this moment. And God, I believe today you're telling them to be encouraged, that you love them, that you're with them, that you hear them, that you're telling them to keep walking, to brush the weight off their shoulders and to walk in faith. And so today, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, would you fall on us today? Would you move in us and through us? Would you fix our broken souls? Would you mend our warped minds? Would you massage our weary hearts? And give us faith and strength for today, God. God, I pray for the one here today who's, who's got physical issues, Lord. I, in Jesus' name, we believe healing, God. We believe you are a healing God who in an instant can heal. And so today, in Jesus' name, I ask for that today, God. We ask for healing, for physical healing, that today is a day where it happens. We, we just agree together for physical healings that are represented here, God, for physical issues. God, we, we pray for families today. For families that are strained and broken. God, we ask for restoration in families, for healing in families, for you to fix families, God. Fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, mothers and sons, mothers and daughters, brothers and sisters. God, we ask for restoration that only you can do. Lord, for the marriage that's here today, that there's just this gap growing between them. God, in Jesus' name, I pray by your spirit that you would root out the enemy, And you would draw husband and wife together in joy and restoration and peace, God. Would you be a healer and a fixer? You are able, God, and we believe that today. For the parent that's praying for the child, God, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would break through in their life, God. I pray in Jesus' name that you give mom and dad today some peace and some ability and some energy to trust you, God, with their plans, with your plans. you give them an ability to keep walking in faith. And God for Moncton Wesleyan, can we just agree together, God? We walk in faith, knowing that this is Your church, God. That the best days are yet to come here, Lord. That You are going to anoint this church, and that You are lighting this church on fire. That this church is a banner church. That this church is a flagship church that will lead the way in reviving Atlantic Canada. God, we in Jesus name agree together that Atlantic Canada will not be any longer known as the place that everyone's leaving and all the good stuff's going, and that there's this haze and this cloud over. In Jesus name, we ask your light to break through in the church. We ask God that you would raise up your church, God, to demonstrate what life looks like by people who have been redeemed by Christ and called into the kingdom, God, and that Moncton Wesleyan would look like a city growing within this city, God, and that people would come together in the name of Jesus and that the world would be changed, that the economy would be changed, that families would be changed, God. We give you glory and today, God, in Jesus' name, we just place our problems in your able, nail-scarred hands and we say you are God and we trust you and we will keep walking. In the name of Jesus, everybody said.